All right, welcome into episode 92 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast alongside Jamie Eisner. I'm Luke Lipinski, and Craig Morgan is calling in from, I believe, a yacht in the South Pacific. Is that correct, Craig? Not quite. Oh. Okay. Not quite. Well, then Craig Morgan is calling in from somewhere in the Chicago area. Is that more accurate? That is more accurate. I, I will be on the water later today, but not quite yet. But that's just paddleboarding? We won't talk about where I'm going. Okay. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, I, don't, I don't want to make you guys jealous. Oh, yeah. Sailing to parts unknown. Yeah. You make us jealous every week, Craig. You know that. Uh, yeah. So... Somehow I doubt that. I hear the sarcasm in your voice. You can hear the sarcasm 2,000 miles away? That's impressive. I can. No, I am I kind can. of jealous. All right, so the draft happened on Friday night and Saturday all day, and obviously the highlight was the Pittsburgh Penguins trading for Ryan Reeves. But we'll get into that later if we have time. <laughs> Craig, Craig was at the draft, so let's let's start Coyotes and let's start early uh, in the day before the draft when John Chica, basically John Chica and Stan Bowman really stole the show because Chicago had a big deal. We'll talk about as well. But John Chica, uh, a much needed pair of deals for not only the Coyotes on the ice, but I think the fan base as well. Craig, what were your impressions of those? Well, just mostly stunned that he was able to fill team's greatest needs and, and do it all so quickly before the draft ever started. I mean, you go and get Nicholas Chalmerson, who does have some mileage on his body, and that has to be a little bit of a concern. We'll have to wait to see how that plays out. But a guy who I agree with, John, is a fantastic pairing for Oliver ekman Larson. He can, he can protect him very well. I think he's underrated as a puck mover as well. He's an insane competitor, block shots like board boy gordon used to for the coyotes so that was a good find but then he also went out and got the starting goaltender and Antti ranta to replace mike smith who they traded to calgary the week before and he got a number one center you know i don't know if Derek stepan is a true number one center but at the very least the coyotes improved their center depth dramatically they got a guy who's produced 50 plus points the last four seasons he's just 27 so you could argue that he's coming into his prime right now it was just stunning to watch them fill their three greatest needs seemingly so easily. Let's uh, let's start with Jalmerson, just because I, I know that you've watched him closely as somebody who watches the Blackhawks closely. And, I mean, that that was, uh, of the two trades, that was the one that I don't want to say surprised me, but, but was the one I didn't necessarily see coming. I mean, we all knew the Coyotes were looking for a – a right defenseman, I understand he's not right-handed, but he can play the right side and, and will play the right side alongside Oliver ekman Larson. He, he's always been, he's always struck me as sort of an underrated part of those Blackhawks Stanley Cup teams, and my impression is he steps in here with Oliver ekman Larson, who I know Oliver is, is a fan of, of Nicholas Jalmerson from years past, and not just him saying that after they made the trade. I mean, I know he's always been a fan of his game. This allows Oliver to sort of play his style of game and be a little more free-roaming out there, and, and you really maximize what you get out of your, your best player, ultimately. Yeah, and, and going back to what Oliver dealt with last season with the, you know, the eventual death of his mother, but she was sick all year, that, that clearly plagued this season. I, I thought already that Oliver was going to have a bounce-back year, a big year this season, but this just accentuates that for me, to have a partner like this, a guy that, that he admires, that he's known for a while, he's played international competition with him, and a guy that, that does blend so well with him, and a guy who has so much experience, I just think this is going to take Oliver ekman Larson to the next level. 
They end up giving up, what, Connor Murphy and Laurent Dauphin in that deal. And, and look, I like Connor Murphy a lot. And I, I, I understand why Chicago makes this trade, but I think Jalmerson really feels, like you said, Craig, a major hole for the Coyotes and, and should step right in. I would, I would imagine pretty seamlessly here, right? And then all of a sudden that pushes everybody else back down the list on defense a little bit, which in turn should make the entire blue line better. Yeah, we'll see how that pans out. I mean, there's the possibility that Goligoski moves to the right side. He's played that in the past, and he said he's fine playing over there. But, you know, sometimes it's it's about the mix, who's playing with him. It it may not work out. And and really, that's something for the coach to sort out, not John Scheike to sort out. So it's still possible that Luke Shen is your guy there. It's still possible they make another move. But at the very least, they've solidified their top pairing. I want to go back to something you just said, though, about how you understood why Chicago made this move. In my mind, I mean, this this is just a cat move for the Blackhawks again. Lawrence Dauphin was, you know, a guy that Dave Tippett, I, I think, always identified as a fourth-line prospect. So you gave up that, and you gave up a guy in Connor Murphy who's, you know, in terms of all the intangibles of being a great teammate, being a great human being, working hard, doing all that, he's fantastic. But the truth of the matter is, I don't think many executives view Connor Murphy as anything more than a number five defenseman in the league. So to be able to acquire Chalmerson for that, mileage and all, it's a pretty good trade. I think the Coyotes won that trade. Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. I I think it's funny because I know John Chica was sort of at least nationally thrown into the mix of of being um, scrutinized over the days leading up to the draft. I I don't know. If that it, that didn't seem fair at all to me, really, but he certainly made a pretty big name for himself uh, on the morning of draft day. I just I, I want to say hi to Jamie. We we we're not letting Jamie talk, and he's just sitting here looking sad. Jamie, do you have any thoughts on this? I'm not, I'm not sad. I'm just I'm just thinking. I'm pensive. Oh, pensive. I, I'm Jamie. listening. I'm listening to the thoughts. But no, I I agree in the, that the Coyotes won this deal as well. Connor Murphy. It's Craig. As Craig noted, third pairing defenseman, the Ronto fan, fourth line center, who again. I don't really see how he was going to crack the lineup long-term with the other prospects the Coyotes have in the system. So you trade uh, two tradable players for the Coyotes that really don't affect their short- or long-term outlook, and you get someone that Oliver Ekman-Larsen can play with, and you get someone that can accentuate his game and bring him to the next level. Oh, also, you make him a little bit happier when you're trying to re-sign him in the next year or two. So there's nothing but positive things to say about that deal. That was the first thing I thought when I saw Shalmerson in, in, in the trade was Oliver Ekman-Larsen, his contract is up after the 2018-19 season. And, and all I really, I shouldn't say all I care about, but he's the number one priority on this team, especially now that he's the captain. Uh, You've got to keep him happy long term. He's been on a really team-friendly deal, I think, the last few years. And that was my very first thought. So I'm glad Jamie said that. You bring in Shalmerson. He helps you a ton on the ice. But he also, I think, should help make your best player happy. One final question on this one for you, Craig. You, you've been one of the guys that's been the most vocal about how this team needs a top-pairing defenseman to put with OEL. And, and there was all the talk last year about Kevin Shattenkirk or whoever else is out there. Are you comfortable with this, solving that issue? Yeah, I definitely think so. Look, he, as, as John Tyka said yesterday, if God had made him right-handed, he would have been the perfect partner for EL. But and Chalmerson's left-handed, but he's played a lot on the right side uh, in Chicago. He said yesterday he has no preference. He's very comfortable there, so I think this works out for them. And uh, another another point on the ekman Larson thing, I tweeted this yesterday, and everybody knows this, but they signed his brother to a minor league contract as well. They're doing everything they can to make Oliver ekman Larson happy. It should be abundantly clear to people. <laughs> Somehow it wasn't to some people, probably never will be to some Canadians. 
but they are not trading Oliver Ekman Larson. They're doing everything they can to keep him happy, and they intend to resign him next summer. Yeah, that was one of the things I, that uh, I chuckled a bit too when when Jarmerson was acquired. Of oh, now it's easier to move Oliver Ekman Larson because you have another left hand defenseman in the mix. Uh, and that I was that. Was that really a thread? That was that was out there a little bit on, on Twitter. Uh, and that made me laugh. And but you know, talking about Jarmerson's left handedness again, there are some stick disadvantages to being a lefty playing on the right side. But ultimately, you want talent, and, and talent can overcome some of those disadvantages. And if he has chemistry with OEL. He's, he's obviously got a ton of talent. That will make up for the small disadvantages you have with stick play playing on your opposite-handed side. I love that thread. That's like, hey, you got new new tires for your car. Now you can get rid of your car. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Now you can trade your car to the Maple Leafs because everything the Maple Leafs want goes right to Toronto, right? Just like Travis Hamannick, too. All right, let's look at the uh, let's look at the other trade with the Rangers here. Antti Ranta, Derek Stepan coming over for the number seven overall pick and Anthony D'Angelo. And, and sort of similar to what you guys both just said, you know, Anthony D'Angelo, is a, he's a great skater and, and he can do some things on the power play. I understand that. He was, he was fairly deficient defensively. But ultimately, this is the Coyotes, again, trading pieces that were fairly expendable and, and somehow spinning them into guys that are going to step right in in prominent roles, particularly Derek Stepan, who... You know, I, I saw the, the comments out there that, well, he's not a true number one center. What are they doing, again, coming nationally or, or from north of the border? I don't think the Coyotes are operating under the assumption they went out and got Connor McDavid on Friday morning. They got a guy that can play the number one center role and affect the game positively on both ends of the ice. And if Dylan Strom takes the step that they really need him to take, well, then Derek Stepan can be your number two center. I mean, this, this gives them flexibility. And, Craig, you tweeted out all the centers they now have uh, set up for this season. And, and, I mean, years past, they've had, like, two centers. This is definitely a step up. Yeah, no no question. You, you, you throw Christian Dvorak into the mix. You've got Brad Richardson coming back. Uh, all indications are that he's doing just fine. And you got Nick Cousins. Uh, we can talk about the human being that is Nick Cousins. That's another topic. But they've got some center depth now. They do have options. Look, if, if Dylan Strom isn't ready at the start of the season to step into the NHL lineup, they have the luxury of putting him in Tucson like they did with Brendan Perlini last year, letting him develop, cook a little bit, and then bringing him up because they've got enough pieces there now. I don't know if Derek Stepan is ever going to be more than a 50-plus point guy, but their center depth looks just so much better now. There's, there's balance, and this is a lot of teams have taken this approach when they don't have that big number one guy. You know, Columbus is one of the teams that comes to mind. You just make sure that you're strong all the way up the middle, and, and I, I really think that's what they've done. Derek Stepan was top three on the Rangers in points every year since 2012. Like you mentioned, he, he averages, he averages what, 20 goals, 37 assists per every 82 games. And he typically plays, and you can't predict injury, but for the most part he's playing up in the, the, the mid to high 70s or 82 games a year. So uh, he, just, he, he solves – he's at least the answer to a lot of questions for the Coyotes, and he, he doesn't have to be a – they know they're not getting Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid or Jonathan Taves, but you don't get those guys on – via free agency or in a trade unless you're dealing with Peter Chiarelli, you've got to draft them. And this, I think, is, is about the best you could possibly ask in a trade right now. Yeah, and it's also not like well, he's... Well, let's see who he's... Go, go ahead, ahead Jamie. Uh, it's also not like he's a train wreck defensively either, where sometimes oh. you see where, where top top-line centers, particularly top-line offensive centers, some of them, they, they play a one-way game, which, again, if you're an elite goal scorer, you're an elite assist person, you, you're fine. You can play that game. But you kind of make up for a little bit of his lack of offense with his ability to play in his own end. I'm curious who they're going to play step on with, too. And, and obviously, we don't even have a coach yet in, in Arizona. So 
it's hard to project all that out right now. But there are a couple of guys, you know, when, when you look at the potential on, on the wings, if he's playing with a, a Clayton Keller or a Max Domi, those, are, those guys are playmakers. Who knows what they can do for Stepan's game, too? There may be, there may be some upside production-wise for him. He may be able to get over the 60-point barrier, and that would, that would certainly help out a lot more. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because the majority of people I've talked to are really happy with this deal, but I've talked to a few that, that look at it and say, okay, well, he played with the Rangers, so obviously he's going to put up better numbers than he is here. I don't know that that's necessarily true anymore. The Coyotes certainly have their weaknesses, but they've got playmakers up front that they can put with Derek Stepan that in some ways might be better than, than at least better for his stat line than guys he was playing with in New York. That's not to say the Coyotes have a better team than the Rangers, but if he's playing with Max Domi and, like you said, potentially Clayton Keller, who do the Rangers have that can match their upside over the last couple of years? It's not like New York is this offensive powerhouse. So if you're just looking at Stepan individually, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think it's automatic that he suddenly dips down in point production. And like you said, he might go up. Uh, Antti Ranta, 28 years old, <laughs> more shutouts last year than Carey Price, which is my favorite stat on Antti Ranta since he only played 30 games last year. But... He did play 30 games as a backup to Henrik Lundqvist. Correct me if I'm wrong, there was a stretch in there where they were just starting him over Lundqvist because he was, he was red hot. This is, my, my impression is this is how you get a goalie that's becoming a number one, is you get them right in their mid to late 20s, and you just you put them in a position where they can step in and be the guy. Yeah, the, the, the whole development arc of a goaltender in the NHL, to me, has changed it. it was, I mean, the Coyotes didn't take any goalies yesterday, but they acquired two others in the offseason, two prospects. So they're feeling like they're good organizationally. But to me, I, I'm not sure I even draft goalies anymore. I think I wait for them to become free agents. Wait to see who, who actually develops into something useful, and then you, then you make the deals. You, you try and acquire guys when they get a little older, even if that means developing a little bit in college, because goaltenders are so hard to predict, and we've seen so many absolute busts that were high draft picks, it, it, I think it changes the picture here. Now, with, with Antti Ranta in particular, there are a lot of people around the league that believe he was ready for the number one role. Obviously, the Coyotes do, and they say that they had targeted him above all else. I'm hoping to get a chance to talk to Benoit Allaire, his goalie coach, who was, of course, with the Coyotes for, for a long time, too, just to get a sense of some of the things that they worked on. I, I know, you know Benoit is one of those guys who preaches being a little deeper in the net, and that is something that he has embraced. For his style, but want to get a sense of, of what he thinks. But right now, he's going to be the guy. It's probably going to be him and Louis Domingue as the backup, and then they'll just wait for those other prospects to develop. You have to build your team up the middle, you know, from goaltending, defense, and, and, and center. And what I guess Thursday night, we, we didn't have a number one center for the Coyotes. The defense wasn't nearly as good as it is now with Jalmerson, and they didn't really have any goalie other than Louis Domingue. So I guess my final question on Ranta for either one of you guys, with the defense the way it's set up now, and I understand they probably still need to add one more guy because you essentially just have six NHLers. You need to have some sort of depth there. But with the the six guys that are going to play in front of Ranta and Ranta himself, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, he had a 2.26 goals against with New York last year, so that's what he's going to do again this year. But are we comfortable with the defense in front of him at least giving him enough protection to play his game because it – Seems like it should be. It'll be well. It, it, go ahead, Craig. Go ahead, Jamie. It'll be better than it was last year, clearly. But the Coyotes still give up a lot of high danger scoring chances. They give up a lot of prime opportunities, and 
I'm interested to see what the development of some of the younger players are. What happens when Oliver ekman Larson isn't on the ice, particularly at even strength? I, I, I don't believe he's in a bad situation per se, but he's not in quite the same situation as he was. So I would, I'm interested to see how much the Coyotes can kind of shore up giving up where they give up the chances. Because as we're starting to learn more and more as we delve into deeper analytics and, and possession, that there is a, a difference where you give up a shot. And the Coyotes had a very bad history of giving up prime opportunities in front of Mike Smith. So if they can clean that up a little bit with the defensive additions they have, you know, with another year of maturation of Jacob Chitrin, Goligoski maybe having a more bounce-back season, then we'll start to see Ronta be able to use his skill and watch the Coyotes kind of a little bit slowly move up the standings. Yeah, to me, Chitrin's development is one of the keys to answering that question, Luke, and Look, this guy's already way ahead of where they thought he'd be. They didn't think he was going to give them anything last year. So if he needs a little longer to develop, so be it. But if he takes another step up like he did last year, that could change the picture considerably because then you also have to think about, are, are, you, are you comfortable leaving Jacob Chikrin on your third pairing anymore? There's going to come a point, and they hope soon, where, where he jumps up into that second pairing. And then, then you maybe have to think about moving Golagoski to the right side or if that mix doesn't work, Maybe you think about moving Goligoski right out of Arizona for, you know, another asset. Those are good problems to have. But, again, I, I would say watch Jacob Chikrin's progress because he's going to be one of the keys to how their defensive depth improves this season. You look at Ranta, and obviously Louis Domingue is still here as well. Uh, they both are set to make about a million dollars this year, and they're both only signed for this year. So... I know we're all talking like Ronta steps in and is the number one, and obviously they made the trade for him to step in and be the number one. But, but Craig, do you anticipate a deal being done with him early, or is this sort of a, a, a prove-it situation for him? Well, John Chica didn't really commit to re-signing him. He just said they're going to evaluate a number of things. So he was, he was pretty vague on that. So we'll have to wait and see. I'm not sure what their plans are. It may be, you know, let's see what Ante Ronta can do for half a season in this role, and then maybe we'll talk about you know, extending that contract out after that. The other thing, too, that I would assume a lot of Coyotes fans feel better with uh, about these two trades, you know, on the one hand, now it starts to make a little more sense. Like, you trade away Mike Smith, but you get Antti Ranta, and then you reallocate some of that money to Derek Stepan. So it at least shows that they're willing to spend some money on actual players that are going to play this season. And I think a lot of a lot of Coyotes fans were nervous about that. And, that, look, they still have work to do to get to the cap, but they also have cap floor. But they still have uh, RFAs that are pretty big to sign here in the next couple of days. The other thing, and I know Jamie likes this, and I'm on board with this as well, you didn't need to make a pick at number seven. You had too many picks. And so now we start to look back at the Martin Hansel deal, and you say, okay, you made that deal for Martin Hansel. You got a couple picks. Ideally, you would have got... Kirill Kaprasov or some high-end prospect from the wild, but you didn't. But because you had those picks, you still got to pick at number 23 in the first round this year, and it made that number seven pick expendable. So in some ways, I almost see this as the second half of the Martin Hansel deal because you're starting to cash assets into actual players that can help you win now. Yeah, and that's really what the three of us have been saying ever since they made that deal, that if they're going to use this to acquire existing players, okay, that's fine. What would have, I don't think what would have been acceptable to the fan base, and really I, I wouldn't understand the strategy either, is if they had taken someone with that number seven pick instead of moving it. And that's why I, you know, I kept writing that, that that pick was probably in play. I, I really expected them to use it. So now you're in a different situation. You're right. Yeah, you've, you, you've, you've 
sort of, I think, maybe increased uh, or, or shortened the timeline of maybe competing for a playoff spot by adding some of these players. Yeah, and I think what's, to me, and I, I screamed it from the rooftops every podcast, if they used all their picks during the draft, it would have been a failure. The trade would have been a failure in the offseason, essentially. Would have been a failure. Yeah. But you look at the players that they acquired back in both of those deals, but you look at the players they gave up. They're not going to miss Toronto fan. They're not going to miss Anthony D'Angelo. They upgraded from Connor Murphy. I don't think they're going to miss that number seven pick very much at all, given the, the how many prospects they already have in their minor league system. They didn't really give up anything that would hurt them, and yet they gained back three very, very good players that will help them immediately and in the future, and that's a win. And somehow, Chica, yeah. And then on day two, go ahead. Well, I, I think we're about about to say the same thing. Chaika added more picks anyway on day two, so yeah. he, he just continues to get pieces. Like last year with Chickren and Kraus, he continues to get pieces without really giving anything tangible that, that's going to hurt their lineup. He's, without giving any of those pieces up. Yeah, I've always believed that that's a good approach in the second round. Like like Chaika said yesterday, look, there's if there's a guy you love in the second or third round. You go ahead and take that guy, but a lot of times the strategy in those middle rounds is to just trade down and acquire more picks. I compared it to the New England Patriots approach in the NFL draft. They're, they're famous for doing that, and they, they acquire more assets. And you, there's no guarantee you're going to hit on guys in the NFL draft or the NHL draft. So by acquiring more picks, you increase your odds of finding guys. It's, it's, it's simple math. And he did that twice yesterday. And, and it allowed them to stockpile their defensive core even more, added, added five more defensemen yesterday, got two more centers, maybe a third if, if McKenzie Entwistle uh, ends up being a center instead of a wing. They were drafting, as John said, at the premier positions. They were looking to fill the premier positions. They got a couple right-handed defensemen, again, stockpiled their defense and, and got a couple centers. And that's, those are assets that you can use down the road either to improve your club or again to make more trades to improve it in other ways. Yeah, and the one, the one from the one quote that you had in your story from Tim Bernhardt just just warmed my heart because I feel like this is wow. the accurate way to do this. He said, "Quote: There's I didn't no know, wow." So it thought it actually thought out. It. <laughs> he didn't say it thought. It just I got a little warmer. Yeah, I got a little warmer. Just no. a little warm, so a little melting. And the quote is: "There's no sure thing here with these amateur players. The more opportunities you have to get players, the better chance you have to get players." Yeah, I love that. Quote. I, I truly, again, the lottery ticket mentality, especially, especially after the second round, but pretty much after the first round of the NHL draft, it is true. Get as many lottery tickets as you possibly can, and if ten percent of them hit, you're going to be gold. Especially this year, with with the draft, with everything we've heard about this year's draft, it's not that there's not going to be good players. But good luck finding who they are with, with certainty after the first round. And so when I saw that, maybe it's because me and Jamie were in Vegas for the award show. My first thought was, you know, it's basically after the second or third round, you're like, it's like you're playing roulette. Do you want to put your chips on one number or do you want to scatter them out over a bunch of numbers and see if you can hit? And that, that to me is kind of what the Coyotes did. Bring in a bunch of these guys. And if any, you know, if, if, if you hit on the same ratio that you've been hitting at, then you probably found a couple guys later in this draft that can at least contribute either in Tucson or up at uh, the NHL level with the Coyotes. So, yeah, at that point, stockpile the picks if you're just trading away second and third and fourth round picks anyway. And I don't know. I think we're all pretty happy with, with, with the job Chaika has done. Yeah, I don't know that there was a team that was more successful uh, uh, over those two days than the Coyotes. I mean, you, you, the Blackhawks were very active. St. Louis made some good moves, actually. They probably deserve some credit. <laughs> you, you probably want to talk about that yet, but... Well, but let's, the Blues had a good day, uh, and the, uh, but the Blackhawks were the other team that was 
pretty active at the draft yesterday. Yeah, let's let's talk about some of these trades that but happened. The Blackhawks were active, but they didn't get better. No, but they're in a different spot. But they, yeah, but but, but I mean, let's talk about that trade because we've talked about how much throughout the season Jonathan Taves has missed playing with Brandon Saad. They made that move so Jonathan Taves can play with Brandon Saad again and to save money down the line when Panarin's going to make a whole boatload of money two years from now. Yeah, but Saad might make a lot of money here at some point, too. He signed a little bit longer. But, but yeah, Craig, I, we haven't talked to you even off the air uh, about your thoughts on that. Uh, essentially, Panarin for Saad. I mean, there was other pe- pieces in there. But, yeah, I'm kind of with Jamie. It seemed like that was a deal to maybe not appease Jonathan Taves, but a deal to put him in a better spot. And at the same time, you're probably putting Artem Anisimov and Patrick Kane in, in obviously a less advantageous spot. So do you feel like Chicago got better with that deal or, or worse or just kind of is doing everything they can to, to tread water? Well, I don't think they – I don't feel they got better. But the, the pl- first place I look, though, is I look at Chicago's blue line. I think it's a mess now. You've lost Nick Charmelson and you, you've lost Trevor Van Riemsdyk. You just don't have any guys behind Duncan Keith, who's been spectacular, and Brent Seabrook who has underperformed the last two seasons. What do you have after that? You have a bunch of young, inexperienced guys that Joel Quinville didn't give enough ice time to last season to develop. So they're in real trouble on their blue line, and that is the, that's the area that they identified as the issue in that sweep against Nashville. Well, their blue line just got worse, not better. So I had a couple people telling me that the Blackhawks are going to be a bubble team next year because they're going to struggle so much on the blue line. But getting back to that trade... I get it in some ways. There are a lot of people around the Blackhawks, you know, whether it's coaches, executives, media, who feel Brandon Saad is a better all-around player. I don't have a problem with that assessment. But the point is, you never should have put yourself in this situation in the first place. Brandon Saad shouldn't have been gone. You signed Brian Bickle to a terrible contract. You signed Brent Seabrook to a terrible contract. All the money that you wasted elsewhere cost you Brandon Saad. He should have been on that top line last year, and you shouldn't have to give up an incredibly dynamic talent like Artemi Panarin to go get him back. Can't argue with that. any of that. I Actually, I have two more Blackhawks questions for you since you're in Chicago. Was there anything to the story, I don't know if it was a real story or not, about Joel Quenville not being there on Friday, or is he upset about these trades, or was that just overblown nationally? I'm not sure that it was overblown. I Joel Quimble's not happy. There, there's a lot of discord between Joel Quimble and Stan Bowman right now. Okay. Obviously, he dumped his, his top assistant coach in the offseason, Mike Kitchen. They went out and got Olfie Samuelson. I think that probably made him a little happier. But, yeah, how, how are you happy when guys like Nick Chalmerson and Artemi Panarin go out the door? How could you possibly say, okay, I'm on board with that. I get why we're doing that. The reason they're doing that, once again, is because Stan Bowman has so badly mismanaged the gap. And the people that I'm talking to around the Blackhawks, and, and whether this is accurate or not, the people I'm talking to around the Blackhawks, when you talk about job security, a lot of people wonder about Quinville's job security. I'm hearing that it's Stan Bowman that's on very thin ice right now in Chicago. Wow. That's, it, it is crazy if you just casually look at it to think that, that Chicago would make large changes. But, you know, the deeper you look, and Craig wrote a great piece uh, for FanRag Sports Hockey, it was about a week ago now, on, on just the – mismanagement of the cap by Stan Bowman. It's, it's pretty illuminating, and, and even back then you were saying there's a possibility they trade Artemi Panarin, and they did. So the other Blackhawks question, 
I don't know if you can shed light on this or, or not, Craig, but what's the situation now with Marion Hosa? Is he just legitimately, he's retired and that's it? Are they, are they holding out any hope that he might be able to come back in a year, I've heard? I, I don't understand. I said this to Jamie numerous times throughout the week. I don't understand why they can't, why some hockey equipment company can't just make Marion Hosa equipment that he is not <laughs> allergic to. It is, it is a weird situation, and I don't, I don't know enough about the disease, but the people that I talk to are saying that they don't expect him to ever play again, which is just a sad way for Marion Hosa's career to end. It's going to, you know, the, the, the thing for the Blackhawks, too, is it, it doesn't help them immediately on the cap. There's, it's not good for their offseason because they don't get relief from him until he can go on long-term injured reserve after the season starts. It could, it could help him at the trade deadline. That's when it could have an impact, but right now, it really doesn't impact their offseason. And, again, it's just it's sad to see a guy that has done so much for that franchise just go out this way. Like, Mary Hose has been one of my absolute favorite players in the NHL for a long time. This is a bad ending for him. And I think you have to mix that into all the other things that have happened to the Blackhawks. Blackhawks this offseason, they've lost on the blue light. They've lost Marion Hosa. They've lost Artemi Panarin. And their big gain back is, okay, they got Connor Murphy and they got Brandon Saad. But, again, I don't know how you look at this team and say – they're any better. They're clearly worse than they were last year, and they got swept in the first round. Yeah, and again, to me, it goes back to the blue line. There are, there are arguments to be made that they can withstand this up front, at least from what they had last year to what they'll have next year. There's also the belief that you know Alex DeBrincat, one of their top prospects, will come up, play with Anisimov and Kane, and still give them plenty of offense on that second line. We'll see how that works out for him. He was extremely productive obviously at the lower levels but i just i just don't see how they're going to get it done with the defenseman that they have brent seabrook somebody should be sitting him down and saying look you need to have an incredible offseason because you need to have an incredible season we need the guy that we're paying that much money to he needs to be a star player for them next year calgary flames <laughs> they do it again i i don't uh, brad tree living has done a masterful job for a team. team with no defenseman <laughs> All the right-handed defensemen go to Calgary. They, I mean, they're top four defensemen now of what Travis mm-hmm. Hamonic, TJ Brody, Dougie Hamilton, Mark Giordano, and obviously they have pieces up front. They now have a goalie in Mike Smith, who we've seen firsthand can step up in big games. Now, I mean, it's it's hit or miss if he'll do it, but if he does, you're in a great spot. Behind that defense, he's in a great spot. <laughs> Calgary is the sort of team that could really make a run next year if everything falls into place. I just yeah, you gotta love that top four. It's it's like Nashville West now, and there there there's youth there for most of them, other than Giordano, of course. It, so you have that veteran presence. You have three guys who have exceptional offensive abilities in my mind. Also, DJ Brody and Dougie Hamilton, and then you've got Hamonic, who has some upside there, but probably gives them more of an edge. Man, and he and he can move pucks. So they've they've got four excellent defensemen. I still like their center position. They're young, but but to have Backlund and behind Monaghan, and then, then you've got Bennett as well. They're really strong in the key areas. Yeah, I think that that's the most encouraging sign going forward. It's not just that they have good players. They have good players where other teams don't have good players. And I think that's what's going to make them very dangerous. And they're very young. They, their centers down the middle as a whole had a good but not great season last year, but they're still so young, and they showed so much upside. I, I think Calgary is going to be a very, very dangerous team for a long time couple other moves around the league. Uh, St. Louis, we keep tiptoeing around that. They they somehow traded Ryan Reeves to Pittsburgh for a first-round pick 
and a decent prospect. Yeah, yeah, let's break this down, Luke. I want your thoughts on this. So not only did the Penguins acquire a player who can't play and doesn't make the Penguins any better, but they gave up a first-round pick and an actual real-life decent prospect to do it. I think you know what my prospects are, or my, my thoughts on this are, and you're just trying to hurt me. But uh, I did love the quote from Ryan Reeves, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Oh, no, I'm not. Here's really the quote. Nice. quote. First thing I saw was it sounds like Reeves is going for a first-rounder. I was like, okay, obviously that's a bunch of garbage. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's reassuring. And I, my thought on this is Rutherford's done such a good job in his time with Pittsburgh up to this point that he will get a, a free pass on this one, and he probably has earned a free pass, but this is not a good deal. I don't know how you could possibly when, look at this and say it is. When will this mentality end? They didn't, the Penguins didn't need a player like this, and they won the last two Cups. Why? I don't I don't get it. I really don't. Because you give up the better player in the deal and the better pick. So you, you give up a first and a better prospect for Ryan Reeves and, and the second. So it just it, it doesn't make any sense. But beyond that, St. Louis goes out and gets Braden Shen from Philadelphia. So the Blues... They got real Yori Latera's contract, too. Yeah. They had a, a pretty good uh, couple days as well, under the radar compared to maybe the Coyotes, but but still they got they did some work towards the end of the first round. You guys yeah, are. Stumped. I had nothing more to add on it. I was just I was impressed that mostly that St. Louis just got rid of some garbage. Well, <laughs> and improved themselves in the offing. And got a first round pick for it. Okay. Yeah. T.J. Oshie. Eight was it eight years, forty six million dollars. The numbers are so ridiculously large that. Uh, Yes, eight years, $46 million. I thought I was wrong. Yeah, eight, eight years. I'm trying to think how many second-round series he will lose in the next eight years. Well, it looks like about eight. eight. I mean, I, I like T.J. Oshie for that team, and I've said this on the show before. There was there have been stretches in the playoffs the last couple of years where Pittsburgh's playing Washington, and one of the guys that you sort of fear the most from Pittsburgh's perspective is T.J. Oshie when he has the puck. But Washington doesn't have the cap space to tie up $46 million in T.J. Oshie, and yet they just did. Yeah, the Caps, man. <laughs> what do we say about the Caps? I just, I don't get that deal. I really don't get that deal. Yeah, I mean, You understand he was important to them last season, and, and they're looking at taking hits already. So, wow, we can't, we can't just tear this whole thing down. We can't let it fall apart. But I, I just think that's too much money, and I have to wonder how much leverage he had in terms of other offers, or at least the amount of leverage that his agent made it seem like he had, but that's a heck of a deal for T.J. Oshie. I get the logic behind, whether you agree with it or not, the logic of we don't want to tear this down yet, we still feel like we're close, and T.J. Oshie's a big part of it, but he signed through 2025. That's literally four seasons after Ovechkin's contract runs out. I mean, this is, in some ways, if you look long-term, this is T.J. Oshie's team now. It's just, I, I did not expect that at all. I'm sure there was a demand for him. He's you know, potentially the best free agent out there other than Kevin Shattenkirk, but I, that was a stunner. Uh, the, the length of some of these deals is always what gets me, and I, I understand players are pushing for it, and that's, that's a big negotiating thing. But I just almost never, all, when you're not dealing with an elite top-of-the-line player, these deals that go five, six, seven, eight years are always bad by the back half. They are almost without fail, yet we continue to see it. And I understand, I understand there's also the mentality of, I have to win now, and there's a chance I'm not the GM in seven years, so I'm not going to worry about it. But it just continues to – we see the cycle continue and continue. And unless you're an elite talent, it's hard to lock somebody up that long. 
make deals like this, you definitely won't be the GM in seven years. I mean, that's, I don't know, that's just too much. How about this, too, before we uh, pivot back to the draft? Alex Radulov wants $42 million over six years. Is anybody going to give him that? I want that, too. Yeah, okay, that's true. That's, uh, I, I want Alex Radulov's agent to, to ask teams for that for me as well. <laughs> Craig, there's no way somebody gives Radulov $7 million a year for six years, correct? Well, there, there's a way. <laughs> Some, somebody could do it, but somebody, nobody should do it. That's insane. There's just not enough body of work there to, to say that he deserves that. The, you know, the other thing that uh, out of the draft, like, we kept hearing Matt Duchesne's name on the move, and it never happened. And yeah. I don't know if the ask, it, it seemed like the asking price might have been too high from sacking, but as you and I, have, all three of us have talked about on this podcast in the past, it was probably not a good idea for Joe Sackick to advertise so readily that there were issues with Matt Duchesne, attitude issues. Because that's, I mean, when you're, when you're asking a high price and then you're saying, hey, do you, do you want our cancer? It's, it's a really good cancer, but it's know, a, we're going to have to pay way. for it. It's a weird way to sort of, yeah. to, it's like you're selling it really a, is. A, the TV and you're like, the, the picture's really not that good and you should probably go out and get a bigger screen TV anyway. But hey, can you pay me a lot for this TV? Like, it's just, it, it, it is an odd negotiating tactic and it has landed Matthew Shane back on Colorado for now at least. Yeah, and they're talking about maybe he'll be there now. Yeah, which I think would be a, a a year and a half of trying to trade him and to, to not actually trade. His value goes down every single day. <laughs> That's funny because Jamie says that about me on the podcast too, and it's 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 an odd way to fire me up for and, the show. And is it true? Well, you know, it, it hurts me emotionally and puts me into a shame spiral before we even go on the air. Shame spiral. Let's uh, let's pivot back to the actual draft. So. Of the first 21 picks, 20 of them were centers and defensemen. Should I read anything into that, gentlemen? Those are really important positions. Yeah. Uh, Everyone gets it, finally. Yeah, and the only one that wasn't one, a center or a defenseman was Owen Tippett, who has, has the offensive upside. He went to Florida at 10. That, uh, you know, he's, he's worth taking that high. I wrote this, I don't know if it's up yet, for uh, FanRag Hockey. Three players that might be able to impact the NHL this season. I posted it this morning. Okay. Thanks, thanks for looking. Yeah, you know, I, I'll look in a couple weeks. And the more I looked at it, <laughs> I know that the thought is, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, that Nolan Patrick is the most NHL-ready. And maybe he's the only one that's NHL-ready out of this draft. And I did an interview with somebody yesterday, and they were asking me, hey, when are we going to see the Coyotes prospect uh, on the ice for the Coyotes? Uh, Pierre-Olivier Joseph. And I was like, well, don't expect that this year. But really – most of this draft probably don't expect to see this year, correct? I mean, almost maybe everybody except Nolan Patrick. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. Yeah, this this draft is packed with guys who are quote-unquote prospects. They're, they're going to be guys that need to develop for a while. And, and with regard to, to Joseph with the Coyotes, I wouldn't expect him next year either. I, I think he's going to need a couple more years to develop. And when you see this guy, you see that he has the frame. He's, he's very tall, but he is really slight. So he needs... He needs some time to develop uh, physically. But I talked to Steve Sullivan yesterday, who, of course, now is the assistant general manager for the Coyotes, but has been so involved in their player development. He, he said he has the total package. There are no holes in his game, but he needs a lot of physical maturation. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with taking two years, three years to develop. Again, he'll be 20, 21 at that point. I mean, there's nothing wrong. You don't need to rush guys. You have plenty of young guys that have been developing the last two or three years. There's no reason to rush. Okay. Looking at some of these other players, Nico Hishier goes first. Uh, I looked, 
and then I finally just gave up. I can't find the last time the number one overall pick hasn't played right away. And it's, it's a very real possibility that he does, but it's also a very real possibility just based on his build that maybe he doesn't step in for New Jersey this season, correct? I, I, would, I would think he's one of the most likely guys to do it. But if you start looking down the list of number one overall picks over the last 10, 15 years, the only ones that don't jump right in is, is if there's a, a lockout that cancels the following season. I mean, guys, if you take a guy number one overall, they're playing right away. And yet that doesn't necessarily seem to be a given yet with his year. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to watch because there's probably going to be a whole lot of pressure to play him right away too, but you you hope that they do what's right for the player if he's not ready for this. Don't let the fan base freaking out that their number one pick isn't in the lineup impact your decision. you got to do what's right for the player. Is there anybody else, Craig or Jamie, that, that you saw drafted that you would expect? I mean, the, the three players I put down as, as potentially doing uh, stepping right in this year were Patrick, obviously, maybe he's here, maybe Owen Tippett, just because there's openings on Florida's roster and he can step in. And, and If he can step in and score goals, maybe they can rush him in. But, I mean, the other best players were either centers or defensemen, and those are typically guys you, you don't want to rush in unless you absolutely have to. Is there anybody else that stands out in your mind? No, there really isn't. No, I was going to say Owen Tippett would be the only one that – would stand out for me. Was Chris Phillips the last number one overall pick not to play in year one? He has to be, right? Because after Phillips, it goes Thornton, LeCavalier, Stefan, DiPietro, Kovalchuk, Nash, Flurry, Ovechkin, Lockout, Crosby, Johnson, Kane, Stamkos, Tavares, Hall, Nugent Hopkins, Yakupov, a lot of Oilers, yeah. uh, McKinnon, Ekblad, McDavid, and Matthews. So Chris Phillips, which some was... Of, some of whom are no longer Oilers, by the way. Yeah, yes. I know. Well, yeah, because they had talent. More uh, more. Chris Phillips, 96 overall pick. That might be the last time. It's crazy. Now, here's – okay, so I did a little homework for the show because, you know, I'm, I'm committed. If I asked you guys, just draw out a number, how many players that were drafted in the 2016 draft stepped right in and played last year? Do you have a number off the top of your head? Five. Yeah. Craig? Wait, what was the question again? Oh, boy. The 2016 <laughs> draft. <laughs> how many of the players that were drafted in 2016 – stepped right in and played significant minutes. So I'll, I'll say, I'll tell you, Jesse Pugliarvi played 28 games. I'm going 30 or more games last season. Oh, How many guys stepped right in and played? 30 or more. Yeah. Three. It's, it's four. It's four guys. And it's Matthews, it's Line A, uh, it's Jacob Chikrin, and it's Matthew Kachuk. And I'll go even one further. The year before, Connor McDavid's year, the only guys drafted in 2015 that played right away were Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel, and Noah Hannafin. So it's not – if only one player plays right away out of this draft class, that's, that's not necessarily an indictment on this group. That's kind of the norm, really. Yeah, well, you're drafting 17- and 18-year-old players by and large, so they need time to develop their teenagers. It's just funny that, that you know the casual hockey fan – that's more of just a sports fan. They see the NFL draft, they see the NBA draft, and they expect these guys to play right away. And it's it, that four and three, seven guys over the last two years, that was even lower than I would have expected. Yeah, but I think those two, two, there's an age difference with those two drafts. But also there's a way contracts are structured. There is literally no incentive for a t- an NHL team to play a draft pick before they're absolutely ready. Unless they're Sam Bennett yeah. in the playoffs? Don't even talk to me about that. <laughs> two games, a year, for two games. But that's not the Okay. Yeah, I mean, you look at there's those examples of that abound all over the place. With the Coyotes locally, Christian Fisher probably would have stayed with the team, but you don't want to burn that first year, so you don't play him beyond, you know, you don't go beyond 10 games. So that happens all over the place. But I'll bet Taylor Hall is hoping that Nico Hichier is going to play next season. Uh, yeah, and that could be a real interesting just line. Just a little help. 
that <laughs> finally. And that, I mean, that would be two very exciting players. And New Jersey hasn't had a whole lot of exciting players in recent years other than the ones that Peter Chiarelli gives them. All right, let's pivot back to the Coyotes. Can we talk about that? Can oh, we yeah. talk about that? Can we talk about Peter Chiarelli, please? Yes, yes, please. Oh, yeah, I left that trade out. Yeah, yes, let's please. Talk let's about talk about, that. about this. Just, just recap that first. That's fine. Well, I, I think that you need to address him by his proper name, GM of the Year finalist, Peter Chiarelli. I had an opportunity That's to talk to him. number three in the voting. I had an opportunity to talk number to him, and I declined. Three. You wait. You had a chance to talk to Chiarelli. Yeah, I wanted to film st- this. Yeah, and, and I didn't because I just. Did. So what, <laughs> let me recap the trade. You had you had an offensive player with some talent, and they said, "Nah, we'll take a third line center that hasn't proved anything." Another great deal. And yet he's getting praised for it. It's like, it, I I don't know, Craig. Can you think of any other example where something just seems so ridiculous, and somebody's put in power, and everybody seems to love what he's doing, and yet we're sitting here going, "Why is he there?" I, I don't have a problem with Peter Chiarelli as a person, and, I, and he's made some decent moves throughout his career, but it's amazing to me when he makes some of these trades that just don't look right at all, how many people instantly call him a genius. Yeah, I'm, I'm blown away by it, and, and he's got a track record of it that goes back beyond, obviously, his years in Edmonton. So it's, you keep taking talent away from that team that, that is useful, that you need to surround Connor McDavid with, and you're not improving the team. What are you doing? I don't get it. I'm just baffled by what he's doing, and I'm baffled why others think he's doing a good job. Why do other executives think this guy is a good GM? Because he makes them look good. <laughs> well, I mean, you get a little bit of, I guess the argument is you get some cap relief, but as if that should what be What do you do? How about you get some talent? You're trying to win a cup. If, if yes. the Oilers still had Taylor Hall, and I know that Jordan Everly was flat-out awful in the playoffs last year. It was also his first ever NHL playoffs. And I'm not saying that you had to hold on to Everly. I just think you could have got more than Ryan Strom for him. But you can't possibly look at the Oilers and look at what they did last year and, and say, uh, I'd rather have Adam Larson and Ryan Strom than Jordan Everly and Taylor Hall. Like, I... I get that it's getting lost in the euphoria of, hey, the Oilers are great, and they're in the second round, and they, they might even go deeper this year. You could almost guarantee you would go deeper if you still had Taylor Hall and Jordan Everly over what you got back for them. No question about it. it, it and it's easy analysis for most of us. Uh, that's, <laughs> well, I, don't, I, don't I don't know what to say. I'm just dumbfounded. I don't, you can't even analyze this stuff and say, oh, okay, it's done for this reason. No, they were just terrible trades. They were just terrible trades. It's amazing how much being able to draft Connor McDavid covers up for a team because they could make a trade like this again after making one that I think was worse last year. Trading Taylor Hall away was much worse. But continue to get better on the ice because McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are just absurdly great talents. Let's cycle back to the uh, the Coyotes here and, and even looking at those moves, unless you guys have anything else on the draft. Well, I, actually, I want to talk on one thing that we talked about on the drive back because Shirelli's reasoning for this move was we're going to match any offer sheet that Leon Dreisettle could sign. Well, this is, first of all, before you get into this, and this is a great point that Jamie's about to make, I can, I can preface it. Craig, have you ever sat in a car with Jamie for four hours while Peter Chiarelli makes a terrible trade? I have not. It's, it's, it's everything that you would imagine and more. Alright, Jamie, the floor is yours. So, Did you speak the entire four hours? It was awkward. Yeah, I don't think I gave him much much time to talk. But <laughs> I, I want to talk a little bit just briefly, brief sidebar here on RFA deals and why we don't see offer sheets more and how I think it's GMs managing scared and why we don't see that. 
Because if, if I'm if I'm a team, let's say like the Coyotes, and this was before they had Step On and, and all and all those other deals, I am offer sheeting if I have the money. I am offer sheeting Leon Dreisaitl, and I'm going to then if they don't re-sign McDavid right away, I'm going to offer sheet McDavid the following year. I I am going to use those to my advantage, and at best I get a franchise center. At worst, I forced a division rival to be in a, a precarious cap situation that could benefit me directly or indirectly down the line. And I understand the sense of, you know, we, we have to work with these other GMs and you don't want them to do it to your RFAs. But so many times the window of a GM in the league is three, four, five years, and you've got to do everything you can to win now. And I feel this is a, a perpetually underutilized tool to actually help your team because GMs are afraid of ruffling some feathers. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Now, I, I would argue that the, the, while the window of a GM with one team might be three or four years, these guys tend to get rehired in other places. So they have long careers in the NHL. And it is. It, it's a brotherhood. There's, there's sort of a code that you don't do things like that anymore. And if you do, you'll get a bad reputation. And not only will that guy that you just did it to not want to deal with you again, you might ruffle a lot of other feathers and, and hurt your chances of making other deals. And there's, there's reality behind that, and that's something that you have to consider. But again, when you're in competition, this, this sport is all about competition. This, that's what this business is. Why do you remove one element of competition, one way that potentially could make your team better? Or, like you said, hurt one of your teams, one of your competitors? Yeah, so I guess that, that would be the question is, you think if, you know, let's just let's use this as an example. It's, it's not going to happen, but let's just say the Coyotes offer sheeted Leon Dreisaitl, and, you know, like Jamie said, either Edmonton can't match it and the Coyotes get the franchise center, or Edmonton does match it, and how did it really hurt the Coyotes? It put Edmonton in a tougher spot up against the cap, although the Oilers seem to have issues with that anyway on their own. You think it would negatively impact you with not just the Oilers, but other teams around the league, right, Craig? Because, I mean, otherwise, if the Oilers aren't going to trade in the division anyway, why do you care if you offend them if you're a division rival? I think it can impact you around the league. I'm not saying it's going to do it for everyone, but there is definitely a brotherhood here. There are cliques within the GM circles. And if you, you get that reputation, if somebody starts, you know, basically cussing you out to a, another GM after what you've done, you can impact your ability to make trades with other teams as well. Okay. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, and like Jamie said, when we were kind of talking about this on the way home the other day, the Coyotes hadn't made those deals yet with New York or Chicago, and so there was sort of this thought of, you know, if, if, if GMs around the league are still, you know, they're all tight with each other because they've been doing this together and they're looking at the Coyotes and, and they see a 28-year-old GM and they're kind of leaving them on the outside anyway, then why wouldn't you just desperate times call for desperate measures and who cares who you offend if you're getting sort of frozen out anyway? But as it turns out, it doesn't seem like Chica is getting frozen out. He was able to make two pretty big deals the next day, but I don't know. It's it's certainly an interesting talking point because you really only need one GM to do it, and there are certainly GMs around this league that don't like the Oilers. Now, I guess the Oilers are sort of an odd example because you probably want to be on Peter Chiarelli's good side because it might land you a franchise center at some point, correct? <laughs> That's true. Okay, so let's uh, let's cycle back here to the Coyotes here before we wrap it up. You look at the moves they made and, you know, not even so much the draft, but just the trades that they made. Those three players, and maybe it's just coincidence, all seem like players that would be Dave Tippett-style players. And yet, as I'm trying to piece together the the roster and trying to figure out, is is Clayton Keller going to be fast-tracked to the NHL? Is he going to play on the right side if he is? I keep coming back to what you said a couple times earlier in the show, Craig. They don't have a coach. And I had 
for the most part, feel like I, in terms of, of just the way I view building a hockey team, was fairly in line with the way, at least being able to figure out what Dave Tippett was thinking. I obviously can't figure out what the new guy's thinking because I don't know who he is. Yeah, this, that, that whole situation was weird. Uh, you know, I, I had a sense that this was coming down about a week before it happened. It was, it's, it's no secret that there was not a good relationship between Dave Tippett and Andy Barraway. I don't think he liked working for him, to be honest. I don't think he liked a lot of the, the direction of the club, and there's still some questions about you know, what they're going to do down the road. You know, when, you, when we talked about these existing players, this certainly helped ease the opinion of, of what the Coyotes are doing, but they're still not spending a lot of money. I don't know that they're going to spend a lot of money on this new coach either, but for Dave Tippett, I think just uh, as much as that relationship impacted, I also think that just the idea of, having a couple more years where you know you're not going to probably be a contender. I, I just don't think he wanted to come back for that anymore. I don't think he wanted to continue on the rebuild. And, and But, again, more, more importantly than that, I just don't think that he thought that this relationship was tenable. You understand that the last week or so has just absolutely reinforced the theory that you can't go on vacation without major change. I mean, look – You've been gone a week, and all that's really changed is the Coyotes have switched number one goalies. There's no more Shane Doan. Uh, they're switching coaches. You've been gone a week. I mean, how on a scale of 1 to 100, how bad do you feel? I'm too tired to uh, feel badly right now, actually. I'm just exhausted. It, it seemed like every time I got behind the wheel, and, and by the way, and I, I can lay this out there now, because we had to visit people along the way. We actually drove from Arizona all the way to Chicago with stops along the way. It seemed like every time I got behind the wheel, major news broke, and then it was just manic rush to figure out how I was going to get this stuff all out, how I was going to make the calls in. And by the way, uh, handing the wheel over to my wife to figure out where the hell we were going. <laughs> Can you just, for, for our own personal planning purposes, when's the next time you're going to be behind the wheel for a long drive because you know, free agency is coming up? Tara does all the driving now. <laughs> That's probably a good move. All right, last thing here before we wrap up. Any uh, any names that you've heard as potential Coyotes new head coaches? No, I, I, it's all speculation. I talked to John Chike about this yesterday, and he said we haven't even we haven't even sat down to put together the profile of what the coach looks like. They will do that tomorrow, Monday. They'll sit down with Steve Sullivan and the staff, and they'll they'll figure out what they're looking for in a coach. Because he said. Before we do that, I don't want to throw out names because when we when we put together our profile, some of those names may not fit that profile. So we'll start there. But he did say, you know, while he said youth is not important, he doesn't necessarily see that's important. He says he does want a guy who takes a, a, a communicator style with the younger players. He needs that sort of player. And I, I think we've heard that a lot in today's NHL. When you have the younger players, you need that coach that's going to communicate, engage with them, I don't want to say coddle, but, yeah, the younger generation of players sort of needs that a little bit. They need a little comfort from their coach. Okay. And Chico will be the main guy in charge of making that hire. I mean, I would assume yeah. it's the gym. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who else is left? <laughs> yeah, good point. That's... <laughs> there, there are no other hockey operations uh, executives, this, are there? Which positions are more filled, Trump's cabinet or the Coyotes' front office? Oh, boy. Look, I, I will wrap up, at least if you guys have anything else you can add to it or, or anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up. But I, I know that the organization came under fire a lot over the last few days, but I, I continue to be impressed and pretty confident in in John Chica at this point. Again, I know it's still very early in his career as a GM. It's basically been about 13 months. And he hasn't every move he's made hasn't been perfect, but 
the majority of those moves continue to either be incomplete or A's or B's. I, I, I continue yeah. to like what he's done. So if he's the one hiring the coach, I, I feel relatively confident. I mean, I know 30 coaches are already hired, so it, the, the timing's a little tough, but we'll see what he does. Yeah, and like you said, a lot of the moves are incomplete, so don't, don't go to the other extreme and say, oh, he's a genius, but he's done everything right thus far. He's given them a chance. So yeah. he's played the odds well. He's given them a chance to be good, and we'll see how it goes with this coach. Again, he said he said they're going to have a very short list of guys that they put together, so it's not like they're going to have this exhaustive search talking to tons of candidates. They're going to have a few few guys on that list, and although he said there's no timeline, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how long it's going to take for them to make this decision. Okay, I know Craig is, is idling in the middle of a lake on his jet ski, and he probably wants to get back to racing around and, and spraying people with water. So uh, we're going to let you go. We're going to wrap things up unless you have something else you want to talk about. I'm good. Okay. For Jamie Eisner, for Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.